You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Okay! It's a Monday. I have spent all weekend and all of Thursday night and Friday celebrating the Bears because I said to myself, you know what, Matt Nagy, you know what, Ryan Pace, just when I thought you couldn't get any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourselves. The Bears are back, baby. That's right, the team that I said was trash despite making the playoffs last year and who I said had absolutely no hope and we're going to be terrible next year just changed everything by trading up to get Justin Fields. And Fitz... I suddenly love the draft more than you've ever loved the draft in your entire life. And that's really saying something because that's your favorite thing in the whole world. And I finally understand what that hope is that you've always talked about. And I could not be more in. I am 100%. I am not just drinking the Kool-Aid. I am the Kool-Aid man. I ran through the wall of this radio closet. There is a Kool-Aid man shaped hole and it will remain there until the Bears win the Super Bowl this year or next year, maybe the year after that. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah yeah, Spain, that's a Jason show. I Fitz. About that part. Uh, don't, no, you didn't forget about a dang thing because you are living the glory right now. We're presented Ooh. by Progressive Insurance, and we're getting to Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I was on air the first night with the digital show, and uh, I got goosebumps. And I actually text Sarah uh, immediately afterwards with "Let's go." And there's a moment where you just feel like the right thing has happened. And this trade for Chicago to move up, and uh, they gave up a king's ransom in the eyes of many to move up, including a couple of uh, first round draft picks and. Future future years. And it really had me thinking about what we talked about on Wednesday, because I asked you how much was too much under the context of moving up to number three to get Justin Fields. Instead, you give up a King's ransom, but in the right way. I have no problem with the team that looks at it and aggressively says, I'm going to go after my quarterback and I don't care what's happened in the past. You got to look at your roster today and say, what do we need to do to give ourselves the best situation to win? They did that. And in the process, they got in my mind, clearly the second best quarterback in this draft. So uh, just because that quarterback was available when he was is not a statement to the player. It's a statement to what other people prioritized in this process. The Bears went out and got themselves a quarterback that I think you can bank on. You can go ahead and get the jersey and you can have all of the excitement knowing that you got a guy that I think can be the starter for this quarterback for the next 15 years. That's what's at stake if you can get it right at the quarterback position today. Why not have hope? I completely agree with you, and that's what I was saying, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I, I said that the days leading up to the draft, I said, listen, I-, I think it's possible that the Bears stay at 20, grab someone decent, and it's a pretty boring draft. But if they decide, and I thought it was very possible because of Negi and Pace barely clinging to jobs, and I know that they wouldn't keep those jobs if they entered this season with Andy Dalton at the quarterback position and not a real good chance to compete in their division, not a real good chance to even make the playoffs again. Last year, they sort of backed their way in. So I thought there was a chance for a real explosive move. To your point, they did have to give up a lot, but it was just the one first-round pick because they swapped this year, right? So they didn't give up this year's pick. They swapped the 11 and 20, and then they gave up the first round and fourth round of next year and the 164th pick this year. They managed to keep those middle picks this year, which was huge because they needed to go out and get offensive linemen, which they did. They even traded up to grab one of those offensive tackles. So they need to protect him. They need to have the right weapons around him. And I understand a lot of people, even Justin Fields himself, whose first selfie video to Bears fans looked like a hostage situation. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like, I didn't blame him for maybe not having the enthusiasm that others might because when you get in a trade-up situation, particularly if you've been talking to other teams, you're a little surprised and 
The Bears are known as the place quarterbacks go to die, wide receivers go to die. There's a history there. But I want to address a couple things, Fitz, because to your point, I completely agree with you. If you look at most people two seasons ago, there was a real debate as to whether he not he might be better than Trevor Lawrence. And then this year, Mel Kuyper still had him as the most upside of anyone outside Trevor Lawrence. Said he was going to be a steal coming off the board if he didn't go in the first couple. Um, Next-gen stats have him as the highest Pro Bowl probability of any prospect in the draft class. Pro Football Focus has a tremendous story outlining all of the ways that he was one of the highest-rated guys in the history of their existence since 2012 in terms of their uh, draft uh, numbers. This guy is the guy. The question marks for me have nothing to do with Justin Fee. They entirely have to do with where he's going. And I think when we talk about draft picks at the quarterback position and how difficult it is to get it right in the pros, what we need to address more often than the player is the situation that they go into. And we don't do that enough. We talk about a guy being a bust and not his offensive line, his weapons, his play calling, his coach, right? And so the concerns for Fields are valid ones. But a lot of the narratives around the Bears and why this might not work out, to me, are flawed. And, and Fitz, I, I relate it back to 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series. People who had been fans for decades were projecting onto these young players decades worth of ennui and fear and pressure from not having won it in over 100 years. And the longest tenured player on the Bears had been there for five years, <laughs> right? These were 20-something kids. And, of course, they knew the context. And, of course, they knew what it would mean for the city and the team. But they were not carrying around 60 years of fandom and disappointment like the fans were. They came back from a 3-1 hole in the World Series and won it all. That's what I think happens when you say to Justin Fields or fans of the Bears now, they haven't had a good quarterback since Sid Luckman. That's every different coach and GM and coordinator and system and teammates. None of them are playing with Justin Fields, right? You can maybe say Nagy and Pace, but Nagy wasn't around for the Mitch Trubisky pick. He was over with the Chiefs, giving a really high grade to Patrick Mahomes and telling their, their team to pick him, and then got brought over to the Bears to take on a quarterback that he didn't select and rate highly. So this is Nagy's pick. Now we get to see what he does with a guy that fits the profile of what he's looking for. That's the kind of quarterback that's going to succeed in the NFL right now. You look at the, you know, criticism about previous Ohio State quarterbacks. I'll give you that, right? You know, you got Haskins and Terrell Pryor and Cardale Jones, but how many other Michigan quarterbacks have been game changers other than Tom Brady? You got Chad Henney and Harbaugh and Greasy. How many Berkeley Cal quarterbacks other than Rodgers? You got Goff, we'll see. Bowler. Bartkowski, how many Notre Dame? You got Theismann in Montana and then Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen. Like, we're taking all of these things and putting them on the shoulders of Justin Fields when all that needs to happen is call the right plays, make him comfortable, protect him with an offensive line, make sure you've got the right weapons. That's a lot of asks, but I, I believe in them being able to do it with this guy, and I think they got the right guy. I, th- I don't think Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I don't think there's a lazier narrative from people about quarterbacks than looking at previous success of recent quarterbacks coming out of a school. Because if you go back and watch the tape and you watch the games for Justin Fields versus watching Dwayne Haskins, for example, or Cardell Jones, very different quarterbacks. Just mm-hmm. because they played in the same school for the same school and just because in this instance they happen to be the same color, it's easy for people to sort of 
lump them together, and I find that to be maddening. I mean, what Justin Fields did in his time at Ohio State is absolutely incredible, and I, I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. He had two games last year that were questionable, one against Northwestern, one against Indiana, but there's been very little uh, acknowledgement of context in that to what was going on for COVID, to the restrictions they had in practice leading up to those two games, to the linemen that were Mm -hmm. missing for him. I mean, uh, at some point, body of work requires a full context uh, examination, and when you look at the full context of the way Justin Fields played at Ohio State, it's why I think he's clearly the second best quarterback in this class. And, And realistically, when you look across the board, I can say that I like a couple of the different situations we'll get into that later but I think Fields goes into a situation here where he's suddenly on a team that you know is going to have a very good defense that you know does have some offensive weapons around him and a team that I think has a level of hope I mean I feel good about this frankly if I'm a Bears fan if I'm Justin Mm -hmm. Fields if I look at the marriage all the way around I think this is a really good scenario not just for short-term success but also for long-term success they hit a home run with this pick it's Spain and Fitz here Spain Jason Fitz the last narrative quickly I want to address is the idea of, well, it always works up when the Bears straight up for quarterbacks. Trubisky kind of came out of nowhere, right? People have been talking about Fields as a potential one-two pick for the last two years. He's had a higher level of competition, more starting experience, more thorough evaluations, been in the college football playoff. Has, like I mentioned, you know, if you go read this story, uh, the headline is the Chicago Bears pulled off one of the biggest deals. It's by uh, Anthony Treesh on profootballfocus.com. Just some of the metrics in there, including the fact that his – grade in the wins above average metric was the top five um sorry was the best according to that metric for the last two seasons and the rest of his grades were all top five among all the quarterbacks like he's rated out so differently from Trubisky that you just can't compare the two eventually we'll talk about should he start and all that but for now we're just going to be fired up about it that's straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless no contract no compromise uh coming up Jason Fitz going to talk about his long draft days and how he finished them off with something very sweet. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I like to think I did accomplish moderation, but I still, uh, it got awkward. I'm just saying a lot of cake in my belly. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Got a lot of great guests tonight that'll join us on the Goodyear hotline. Uh, obviously, there's a ton of NBA action. We're going to get to that hotline in a few minutes. We'll get some thoughts on one of our favorites, Dave McMiniman, on all things uh, play in and all things Lakers and uh, what's happening on the West Coast. We'll do all of that in a few minutes. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. There are certain things, Sarah, you never want to see, I think, when you work in this business. And one is, you know, day three of the NFL draft. I came just pretty trotting into the radio simulcast that we were doing <laughs> on digital and radio. And I'm super excited, even though, you know, I should be a zombie at that point. And I log into the computers that we have here and I go to ESPN.com. And on the side, I see under the trending info, I see Fitz pleads with Raiders. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, you went viral. I Apparently, I've made the dot com. So I watch a video, uh, and it, it all stems from day two of the NFL draft. Because for anyone that wasn't watching, day one of the NFL draft, by the way, digitally, I'm going to humble brag here. We set new records for a company. 7.8 million people hung out with us on the digital live stream broadcast of the that's just day 1 of the NFL draft. So almost 8 8 million people hanging out with us and they all got to watch my face as my beloved Raiders took Alex Leatherwood, uh, a guard slash tackle, with the 17th overall pick. I had spent that moment beg- begging for Trayvon Merring, saying, hey, look, I'm prepared for this safety at a TCU. I think it's going to happen. So day two, the Raiders get on the clock, and I just looked straight at the camera, and I reminded the world that 
I have to pay the penance for it. Like when the Raiders make a crazy pick, I'm the one that has <laughs> to answer for my phone blows up just for once, yep. make things easy for me. And what do you know? They did. It was a very up and down and strange draft because the Raiders <laughs> in the second round get who I thought they'd get in the first round. And in the first round, they got who I thought they might be looking at in the second round. I can't make sense of any of it, but all in all, I felt very good about where my beloved Raiders finished by the time the draft was said and done, which is rare for me of late. Yeah, I want to have you give people a quick rundown of all the places that you worked and what you did. But quickly, I just want to point out that it was the most Raiders thing ever that they reached so high for their first pick that even the draft pick himself thought it was a prank call. He did not think he was actually getting a call in that moment from the Raiders to be drafted because that's how much even he thought this is a reach. Um, But I'm glad. I'm glad that after that, you still felt good about it. And they went out and and he was a guy you wanted, just maybe not there. And then you got who you wanted later. So um, that's good because we've talked about the history of the Raiders draft and it hasn't been great. Uh, Let everybody know, Fitz, uh, all, all the things you did. You did you did digital. You did radio. Yeah, so, you know, the first night of the draft, we were digitally there for every pick. And then afterwards, I went on Sports Nation and uh, did a little bit of fun with them uh, to recap all the draft and uh, and do some Sports Nation work. And then on Friday, rounds two and three, same thing. We ran it back digitally with the Sports Nation crew as long as well as Field Yates and Matthew Berry, uh, Mike Oluk Jr., myself. We were also joined by Dan Graziano on day two, really fun. And then day three, Saturday, was a really cool experience for me. It was a simulcast here on radio that also went to digital. So on, on the digital set, Field, Yates, Trevor Scales, uh, Michael Luke Jr. were hanging out there. And then on the radio side, it was me and Mike Tannenbaum and Jim Nagy and Ian Fitzsimmons. And it's incredible. Like I would encourage anybody uh, to go back and find the podcast of these things. I'm sure they exist. But uh, one of the most amazing things is to really hear guys talking about the difference in what you evaluate and how you evaluate it. And this year particularly, we weren't sure like opt-outs. How are opt-outs going to be a factor? Well, it turned out that opt-outs weren't necessarily a huge factor across the board. Teams seemed to be okay with it. But one thing that was a huge factor was medical. And, you know, you start thinking about the basics of what we were used to with the combine is just that everybody gets to poke and prod everybody. Well, it didn't happen that way this year. So Mm -hmm. uh, medical information was really slow coming in. So as a result of it being really slow, we weren't sure where certain guys were going to fall. And even sitting here in the room, I, I won't say I won't say who, but there were GMs that were calling some of the guys I was on air with to ask if they had any upgraded medical, updated medical information wow. on guys they knew. Like that's how much it was a panic in the sixth round still to get medical info on guys that nobody thought would be available that late. And you see it when you look at the schools. Like usually sixth round picks are from smaller schools. No, if you look this year, sixth and seventh round picks were still guys from the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio States of the world. I mean, it's just it was all about trying to get information as quickly as possible, which was strange. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, we sometimes do some digital-only content you can only get there, and you can catch up on stuff that you missed. Uh, Fitz, I also want you to, you know, it, the behind-the-scenes stuff is great, and it, it's fascinating to think about the coaches kind of, or the, the GMs kind of dialing in and seeing if you guys have any extra insight that they don't. Um, I wonder if you could also explain to people the, the big moment for you, which did not involve at all the draft or any of the players, but in fact was the moment you got off work and ended a very lengthy streak. Yeah, so let's be real. Like, I told you last week I was going to go uh, to Fleming's and order one of every dessert. 
I was a little nervous after. But explain I'd, why. Explain why yeah, you were doing that. I, I mean, I, you could do that if you want without needing a reason, but you had one. Yeah. Well, March first, <laughs> I went completely clean eating and started working out. Lost uh, twenty pounds by the time we hit the nice. draft, and uh, felt really good about it. Like wore a sporty uh, little nice little blue blaze. Like I went all fancy dressed for the draft. Nice. I felt good. Felt skinny. And so then I decided that when you've gone months without any of that stuff, you should add all of it. So I decided I was going to go to a nice steakhouse because steakhouses have really good desserts, really like, you know, really decadent desserts. And I was going to order one of everything. Now, I will admit that when I got off air, by the time we finished 7 o'clock p.m., uh, you know, for anyone that's never watched the digital shows, we don't have commercials. So night one and two, when when we say six hours, I mean, it's six hours straight. You're talking the whole right. time. Uh, day three, we did seven hours of content with roughly 12 minutes an hour of commercial. So like it just <laughs> uh, eventually wears you down. So I, I had this moment where I was like, I'm, I'm not going to go. And then I thought, you know what? If I don't go, then I will have let Sarah and the entire audience that's of right. Spain and Fitz down. Right. So I went. Look at you following through on your promises for once. I went to Fleming's. I sat down and I started with it. I I looked at the desserts. I realized that I hadn't had any normal food. I should probably have real food too. I asked. They were out of one particular dessert. I asked about another. They didn't recommend it. So I I veered a little bit, but I'm still proud of myself. I got myself a filet. Uh, the filet, okay. and I haven't had a beef in in longer than I can remember. So I had a filet for the first time in years. Flip that off, please. Uh, yeah, so filet <laughs> with crab meat on top of it. All right, and then for dessert, I got the full serving of carrot cake, the full creme brulee, and the full wow. key lime pie. And I wow. ate all of that in one sitting as I sat there. So I still felt pretty oh, accomplished. God. Did you feel accomplished later when you got off the toilet hours into I feel like that's part of the weight loss program. Like, you know, it's like, hey, this is going to run right through. And then yesterday I did order myself a, uh, okay, so I went a little nuts yesterday too. I got a pizza. I got a pasta in a pizza bowl and I got a bunch of little garlic knots and I hossed up on those with some cookies. Wait, a pasta in a pizza bowl? Yeah, like it's a big doughy bowl and they put the the pasta and the sauce and everything in it. Oh my gosh, your inner fat kid's so happy. Okay, I'm putting this on at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. I want to know what the weirdest food combo you've ordered because I think filet with crab, key lime pie, creme brulee, and carrot cake is up there. Well, that's probably probably fair. All right, it's a huge night in the NBA and everybody's mad about playing tournaments. We'll break it down for you next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. That's right, Pelicans Warriors about to start, and ESPN and Marvel are airing a groundbreaking collaboration launching the first ever Marvel-inspired alternate telecast presentation of Warriors-Pelicans. The telecast title, Marvel's Arena of Heroes, integrates elements from an original Marvel story and feature characters, including Iron Man, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Captain America, Black Widow, and Doctor Strange into an original story throughout the game. The broadcast will air live on E2 and ESPN Plus at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll follow select players, including Steph Curry and Zion Williamson, along others, amongst others, as they compete in a custom-designed scoring system to determine who among Ooh. the NBA stars will earn the right to fight along Alongside the Marvel superheroes. If I knew anything about Marvel movies, this would be so cool, Sarah, but I just <laughs> out of Maybe my you element. Should try being a company man. Well, that's a favorite. I like Disney. <laughs> you know, I can sing you all the songs from Aladdin. Let's head over to the Goodyear hotline. <laughs> figure out if ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman. Uh, Dave, we got a lot to get to, but we'll start with Marvel. Like, are you are you a big like Avengers dude? No, not at all. It's, I, I am with you. Like my favorite person or people involved with the Marvel Universe 
are the people who buy movie tickets and support our company <laughs> with their patronage <laughs> and their love for Which the Which isn't Marvel you guys, Universe. apparently. So you're all... <laughs> You're all good. In, you're all good in my book, but I'm kind of the Martin uh, Scorsese uh, school of thought here. Like, you know, let's get back to some some other films uh, for the rest of us. Wow, uh, movie wow. I can't wow. believe you just said that on a Disney property. I will say, since somehow I've watched more than you guys, you know, you got to go see Captain Marvel. You got to go see Black Panther. You got to go see. I mean, there's some good You've ones. You've never seen Star Wars though, Sarah. And that's yes, also I have the- just the one though. Oh, okay, okay, this is. <laughs> We'll get into that tomorrow, I'm sure. Golly. You saw Star War. You saw Star Just the War. one war, not all the wars. Um, we will get into that because tomorrow is uh, May the 4th be with you. But let's get into the Lakers. Dave, listen, we have been extremely patient with all of the Lakers' various injuries and issues. And we saw in LeBron and AD's absence that there are some big holes on this team. And we sort of shrugged them off knowing when those guys are healthy, they are the best in the league. But we are getting pretty close to them being a play-in team and not really knowing how healthy they're going to be. What did you see from the Lakers in AD and LeBron's absence? And now as they're kind of back in and out, how are you seeing them reintegrate themselves? Well, we'll start during the absence. They found something. They, they looked like a competitive basketball team. And a lot of that was Dennis Schroeder being the best player on a nightly basis for them. Uh, he was the guy who kept their defense number two in the league over the 30-game stretch while Anthony Davis was missing because he applied that defensive pressure, picking up guys 94 feet in the backcourt, and then you know just setting the tone with that energy and effort while also calling out defensive coverages. The fact that the Lakers lost Dennis Schroeder prior to the Toronto game for an indefinite period of time, which Adrian Wojnarowski and I are reporting likely 10 to 14 days because of the health and safety protocol. There's a direct correlation. Like to me, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That's what caused the bottom to fall out of this season. So suddenly, because they knew they were climbing uphill, trying to get AD reintegrated, trying to get LeBron going, and the consistent guy they were going to use to lean on in that time was Dennis Schroeder. And now you lose Schroeder, and then LeBron tweaks his ankle, and Anthony Davis doesn't look like anywhere close to the Anthony Davis to help win the, the Lakers their first championship in 10 years last year. And now you look at you know a, a, a mediocre basketball team at best, and we're supposed to be talking to them about them like they're the defending champs. It, it's the Lakers are down bad, as the kids say, and I don't see a quick fix here. Okay, so Nuggets Lakers, by the way, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We're talking to ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman. I mean, this is a big if, but if they get healthy, then what's your level of concern? Still, If they walk into the playoffs healthy, knowing what you've seen now, what's the level of concern for the Lakers? I still think it's a significant level of concern because let's say they're healthy, Okay. Just because you have health doesn't mean you have continuity. And even though the Lakers, the purple and gold, are the defending champs, Marcus Dahl's not a defending champ. Dennis Schroeder isn't. Uh, Andre Drummond isn't. Ben McLemore isn't. Like, they still have a bunch of new pieces. Montrez Harrell isn't. None of those guys were there for their run down in Orlando for 107 straight days in the bubble winning the championship. And so this is like 
uncharted territory. And, and it's one thing we've been having these conversations with both the Lakers and the Nets all year long. Like, you know, there's only one other team in league history to have their top three scores play less than 20 regular season games together. I think it was the Lakers back with Kobe and Shaq and Glenn Rice and win the championship. But that team had Kobe and Shaq in their athletic primes. Uh, LeBron James, as great as he is, he's 36 years old, year 18, and he played two games coming back off a six-week injury and said he was experiencing sharp pain, so much pain to the point where he couldn't finish the game against the Raptors. Like, Mm. this is – I don't want to, like, be an alarmist because if we wave the magic wand and they're fully healthy, they have the talent to do it, and they have the experience in their top leaders to do it. But – there's some other really good teams they'd have to get through. And the way they are losing at this rapid rate right now, losers of six out of seven, most likely you would think they would lose to Denver Nuggets with the league MVP and Nikola Jokic tonight. Now you're talking about seven out of eight. And you could be in the seven or eight seed for the first round, and you have to beat the Suns or you have to beat the Clippers. Like The Warriors, right? I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's a – or even beat the Warriors to get into the first round? Yeah. It's all task. Yeah. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMenamin, Nuggets, Lakers, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN tonight. How important is that practice week versus those play-in games for this team? Yeah, that's a great point, Sarah, because it's not just – getting into the play-in round and, uh, you know, anything could happen, uh, you know, foul trouble or a uh, tech-happy referee or uh, re-injuring a body part that could hamper you in, in a short, you know, winner-take-all type of series. But you lose all that time. And the, the Lakers need time. They need time for rehab and recovery for their stars. They need time to get to know one another on the court and run through Frank Vogel sets. And listen, like it got so rough last night that Kyle Kuzma, who has been someone who literally up and down has been praised by the team and the coaching staff for whatever the team needed doing it this year and and changing himself from being a scorer to being more of a five tool player. He'll get charges. He'll hit offensive glass, uh, set screens, whatever you need him to do. Like he was fed up last night and, and said that, this team is disconnected from the players to the coaching staff to the organization. Mm. And he was at a loss for words of what they had to do to fix it. And to me, if, if your team first guy who everybody's been praising all year for doing whatever the team needs to keep things going in the right direction, is having his spirit start to dwindle from what's going on right now. That has to be a pretty good bellwether to read the rest of the room. So, Dave, in 30 seconds, who's all of this chaos benefit the most in the West? LA Clippers. They might actually finally do it, break through, uh, and be uh, you know able to put up one banner next to the 17 that, that the Lakers already have hanging in the Staples Center. He's Dave McMiniman. Uh, you can check him out across all of our platforms covering the NBA for us. ESPN NBA reporter, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate you joining us. Of course, guys.
Don't forget Nuggets Lakers, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And right now, if you flip over to E2, while you're listening to us, of course, if you go to ESPN2 or ESPN+, Plus, you can see the beginning of the exclusive Marvel uh, cooperation between us. It sounds like a cool opportunity, even though I don't know any of these characters. It's brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Coming up, the WNBA's orange hoodie effort inspired another sports recent mo- movement. We'll talk to a five-time champion about that next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy to bring in LPGA superstar Michelle Wee West, who's here to talk about a pretty exciting campaign. Exciting for me because I got free stuff, and I uh, I get to blend in with the youngsters with my tie-dye, my cotton candy tie-dye LPGA sweatshirt, um, the hashtag hoodie for golf campaign, something that Michelle is a part of, uh, kind of inspired a bit by the WNBA's orange hoodie campaign and all the attention that it brought. So, Michelle, were you the mastermind behind this or just a part of the group that decided this would be a a cool campaign? Uh, I mean, I can't take all that credit, but, um, (laughs) you know, I joined the LPGA board um, this past year, and one of the big things that I wanted to do or bring attention to the LPGA is, you know, the power of merch. <laughs> I guess I've seen so many Gen Zs on TikTok and Instagram that, right. you know, kind of brought me the idea. But I was, uh, you know, I think that's maybe where the cotton candy tie came from. But I was uh, deeply inspired by the WNBA hoodie and uh, just all the the work that they've done and how they use sport as their platform um, to vocalize what they believe in. And so I uh, went to the LPGA and kind of showed them what they did and, you know, told them we should do the same thing, um, create a really fun hoodie, a limited edition hoodie um, to help the visibility of our tour. And as you know, women's sports is only represented in the media by 4%. So us as females in women's sports, we have to be really creative. We have to be unique in trying to connect with our fans because, you know, going the traditional way, we are limited. So this is a really fun, tangible item that, you know, already existing supporters of our tour um, can wear it and can show their support. But it's also a fun way that hopefully it can cross over into the mainstream, into, you know, audiences that has never come across us before. And that's a really cool thing about the WNBA hoodie. You know, after they launched that, participation in their sport had increased tenfold. Um, and that was really cool to see. And that actually happened to me personally as well. I got gifted the WNBA hoodie. And after I started wearing it, you know, I always felt pride when I, when I wore it. But then I'm like, wait, I don't really know that much about it. So I got into it. I uh, started watching games and, you know, was blown away by their skill level and their athleticism and how entertaining it was. And, you know, hopefully our hoodie, as kind of as silly as it is, hopefully that will, you know, we'll be able to connect with our fans and get new fans. But most importantly, this hoodie, we have opened an online store and 100% of the proceeds will go to two charities that really help diversify, that will help diversify the game. Um, one is a need-based grant to um, give black girls additional resources or access to equipment to help get into and stay into the game. Because as you all know, it's a you know it's a sport that that needs help um, with that. And also, the second is a Clearview Legacy Foundation. Um, it's founded by Renee Powell, who is our second African American player on our tour, and her father actually built 
a golf course by hand after facing racial discrimination at other wow. clubs. And this golf course is a place where everyone is welcome. And, um, you know, we need more golf courses like that. It is still to this day the only golf course that is built, operated, and owned by an African-American. So that that in itself is it's pretty wild. And yeah. this year is the 75th year, and all the proceeds will go to those those two charities and uh, the reception that we've received so far has been incredible. It's been so fun. Yeah, I mean, it's been fun to watch the start of the campaign and and seeing it spread around social media. Michelle Wee West is here with me on Spain and Company, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Um, What was the what was behind the decision to have Kent Bazemore and Damian Lee of the Golden State Warriors be the first to wear the sweatshirts and post about them? Uh, well, my husband works for the Warriors, so I definitely had some inside support there. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, I mean, I, we gave him the sweater, obviously, but, you know, they were super excited about it. Kent and Damien both are really avid golfers. I would say Kent is probably the biggest golf nerd I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and they, they love our tour, you know. Um, they're big supporters, and they were super excited about it. And I didn't know when they were going to wear it. And I woke up one day to, like, a million messages, and it was a picture of Kent and Damien. They were on their way to the team plane, and that, you know, just blew it up. Um, yeah, and the three support hours. That we, we received three hours from. after yeah, the photos hours, were on social drop. media, the first batch of hoodies yeah. sold out. And then another batch sold out again. They have to continue to restock them. So, obviously, it's huge. So, you know, this reminds me of the support that the NBA so often gives the WNBA, and we've seen so many of the men's players sporting those uh, orange hoodies for the WNBA. Is there a plan for men's golf player, you know, golfers to get behind women's golf in the same way? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, you know, Ricky Fowler just posted about it today. Justin nice. Thomas posted about it the other day. The other hoodies, I think the biggest problem, which is a great problem, is our true inventory um, problem. <laughs> we actually haven't been able to restock it fast enough to send it to the PGA Tour players. They have definitely showed interest um, and, you know, the other organizations as well. So it's been it's been really cool to see, you know, people coming out and showing out for our tour um, because women's professional sports, we need all the support we can get right now. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a really great, um, great cause. Yeah, absolutely. Michelle Wee West is with us here on Spain and Fit. So, you know, I spend a lot of time in the women's sports space, so I'm very familiar with the, the ways that some different uh, uh, sports are um, lacking in terms of promotion, or like you said, only 4% of sports media devoted to women's sports. Um, I understand all the excuses for, you know, in basketball, well, it's because they don't dunk, and in hockey, it's they don't check and fight. What is the usual response you get when you ask why the LPGA and these incredible golfers um, doing things that are very easy for men watching at home to imagine and and wish that they could do, why it isn't a more popular sport and doesn't get the love and, and, and the promotion it should? Um, you know, I've said this a few times, but money makes money. <laughs> and yeah. there needs to be a bigger equity in our sport. Um for us to even get more publicity, you know, publicity costs money. And, um, you know, even when I always get the argument when people ask, 
why is there such a big pay gap between the men and the women? And I've always seen the argument when people are like, the viewership is way less than the women's than it is the men. That's not a fair argument because when you see TV production, what people don't realize is that there are probably five times more cameras, um, a bigger production team. When they go out there, it's faster paced. You have the ability to move between cameras a lot more. So you don't end up seeing anyone's routines or you don't have a dull second. The problem, not the problem, I guess, but the difference on our tour is we don't have that many cameras when they follow us. So they end up seeing a lot more, a lot more people's routines or people walking. Um, so it's a different product completely and um you know like i said money creates money so like (laughs) more cameras equals more money so you know yeah and you know this um i mean as simple as this hoodie or you know our lpga hoodie or wnba hoodie it's just a really unique and creative um way that we can kind of i wouldn't say even the platform but you know, give us an opportunity to reach fans that we wouldn't be able to do. Um, And it's a viral, social, fun way to do so. Michelle Wee West with us on Spain and Fitz. You know, hoodies have kind of been a topic of debate in the world of golf. Is that part of the reason that you decided that this would be the item of clothing you would bring out? You know, I've seen that debate online, and I truly don't get it. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe it's because I live in San Francisco, and... I can't imagine not wearing a hoodie to a golf course. It's so cold here all the time. Um, but I think it's an athletic piece of clothing. So people have their opinions and people have, um, you know, they're on which side of the date on the hoodie. But, you know, the hoodie, like you said, is not a traditional piece of clothes. So we kind of joke about it that there's nothing that says change the face of golf in a cotton candy tie-dye hoodie. Um, So, yeah, I guess it was kind of purposeful a little bit. (laughs) All right. Last question for you, because you mentioned you liked watching how the WNBA was using their sport to have a voice. And obviously that's a very progressive group, the WNBA. Does it feel like within the confines of golf, you're able to speak your mind about issues that matter and you can you can express yourself to allow people to get to know you and your fellow female golfers well enough to really dig in and want to be fans and root for you and all that? Is there space for that in the game of golf? You know, within the LPGA Tour, um, I am so grateful that our organization is the way it is. We truly have such a a great mix of people, um, you know, people coming from different countries, people from the different parts of the, parts of the world, different, you know, sexualities, people, you know, just different people. We have such a, such a great blend of people that when we have conversations out on tour, it's... Um, it's really, it's been truly amazing being able to talk things out with, you know, my peers. Yeah. Um, you know, I was also super inspired by how vocal outwardly the WNBA players were about social issues last year. And that's really inspired me. You know, I think before I was, you know, always kind of silent, stayed out of things, um, always a scared to, I guess, stir, um, stir things up. But then, you know, what I've realized um, is that sometimes being silent, you know, in things that you truly believe or, 
you know, what you want to be vocal about, silence says a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. It says sends a stronger message. And, you know, I definitely have a different perspective after my daughter was born. Or I, I guess when I found out that I was having a girl, I knew that, you know, she was going to be a woman growing up and in the future world. And I'm just, I, I just have this desire to try to make it as easy for her to try to change the world in a little bit to make the world a better place for her. Yeah, that's so true. I and that always doesn't say, happen by you staying silent, I guess. <laughs> right. I always say it's as much of an agenda to stay silent because it, it supports the status quo. It means you're okay with how things are. And if you if you aren't, mm-hmm. you should speak up. Um, I'm super pumped about the mm-hmm. sweatshirt. I'm rocking it, and uh, I'll post all about it. Thanks for coming on, Michelle. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. I am in an incredible mood, and that, of course, can be attributed to my Bears absolutely crushing the draft and my enthusiasm over Justin Fields. Tossing a little bit of drama with that team up north that may be driving away their Hall of Fame quarterback. Throwing a little Dodgers are afraid of my Cubs and the game got canceled. And you could say it was because of rain, but it was probably because of all of their struggles. I certainly would never root for an injury. So unfortunate news for the Dodgers to get today that their young phenom Dustin May is set to undergo Tommy John surgery. So that is not part of my enthusiasm. That's just a note in addition to me pointing out that the Cubs and Dodgers got postponed. But Fitz, I'm just I'm in a great mood and... We need to dive into this Aaron Rodgers stuff because it is making me simultaneously sad and excited. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. The reason that's making me a little bit sad, despite wanting him out of the division so that my Bears can thrive, is because, as I've mentioned before, sort of sheepishly, and that has all changed, of course, because Justin Fields is now my favorite player, but Aaron Rodgers has been my favorite player. And it makes me really disappointed to see the waning years of his career spent butting heads with his own team and feeling underappreciated. And that is ultimately what got us here. It's not just that they've only drafted one offensive player since 2012, and that was his replacement, Jordan Love. It's not just that even after they got outed for the decision-making that he didn't appreciate, they still went out and got another defensive player in the draft this year. It's because they had an opportunity to renegotiate his contract and not leave him with zero guaranteed money, 25 mil coming off the books after this season, no reason at all to keep him, and they didn't. They just handed him the straight bonus. They didn't renegotiate, and that was as clear a sign as drafting Jordan Love was that they're ready to move on. And Fitz, anyone who says he's a diva or he's complaining, I want to ask you what you expect a future Hall of Famer current MVP to do in the face of a team essentially saying, we guarantee you nothing. Figure it out. And that's the interesting and difficult part of this conversation because realistically nothing is guaranteed. And I understand where Aaron Rodgers is coming from. If I'm the Packers, though, I'm also looking around and saying, okay, what do we do and how do we move forward? One one thing that's of note is nothing happens accidentally. So for this sort of news to break right before the draft, I really felt was a calculated move to try and force up the, the process, speed up the clock to getting something done. And we've heard that several teams have reached out and the Packers were quick to say no. But uh, that doesn't also surprise me because realistically, look at the draft concept. Like every year, the Packers know what Aaron Rodgers wants. They don't really care. They just do what they want to do. And now they know what he wants when it comes to playing with them. And 
at some point it feels like they don't really care. They're just going to do what they're going to do. And, and it's a it's a tricky situation because if you're the Packers, you're looking at it and saying, hey, we've got a plan. and We don't really care about the human being involved here. We care about our business short-term, long-term. And that seems to be what they're basing all of this on. But if you're Aaron Rodgers, then you do turn around and say, if my body of work has not gotten me some level of respect, will it ever? I mean, I think that the timing on it was interesting going into the first day of the draft. And now it's going to become our new Dak. Like we're going to obsess all summer every day about what's happening with Aaron Rodgers. To the point that you mentioned about him not appreciating the moves they make and them deciding we're going to do what we want. That's okay, right? This is a team whose defense mostly let them down at the end of last year in the postseason. Their offense was good enough for him to win an MVP at the helm. But that being said, that doesn't erase the fact that other teams have gone out of their way to please their star quarterbacks. Look what the Bucs did in the offseason to put everybody around Tom Brady that he wanted, including a guy in Antonio Brown that their head coach had stuck his neck out to say, we will not be signing him, and then had to answer for it after they did because Tom Brady wanted him there. Look at the salary cap gymnastics that the Saints have done for Drew Brees. You know, you look at the way other teams react, and the Packers continue to do things that are the opposite of what Aaron Rodgers would want, and the two guys that they drafted in last year's draft coming off a loss to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game in 2019, instead of saying, what do we need to fill in to get better and be able to take that step to win that game and move on to the Super Bowl, is that their first two picks in the draft that next year were third stringers in the playoffs last season. They didn't give them anything. They didn't add anything. They used their draft picks to not improve their roster at all. So you understand the frustration. And that has left the Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur, who came in in an awkward situation as the new head coach after they drafted Jordan Love, having to balance that, now saying he can't fathom a team without him, but sounding pretty worried. For you, how much of a sense that did you get that that we could get here to this point um, at at the offseason? Yeah, I've I've never really thought about that. I mean, like, I can't fathom not, not being in Green Bay. So... Um, that's where my mind's at. I don't only love the player, but I love the person. I love working with him on a daily basis. I think we all do from the players in that locker room to the coaching staff. And, um, I, again, I don't, I don't even want to let my mind go there. It's a genuine so, emotion, by the way, that you can right. hear in that as he's talking about it. And it, it's, it, I think that what really stands out to me, Sarah, when you hear LaFleur's voice just sort of go through that process, it is not straight coach speak sort of answers that we get so often. Yeah, I agree, but I'm also curious when he says, I love the guy we all do, it's not always what we hear about Aaron Rodgers, right? He's got some very close friends in his former teammates. A lot of current teammates are sort of silent. You don't hear a lot of guys sticking up for him, and that leaves you wondering as well, is is any of the front office decision-making and the way they're letting him hang in the wind have anything to do with not liking his demands, right? Not liking his behavior, Again, I think you can complain about it, but what else does the guy have to prove to you to deserve a say, right? Or to deserve being able to chime in if the way the team has been built around him to the tune of just one Super Bowl, just one Super Bowl for the guy before him and Brett Favre. Um, you know, I, I was listening to Bamani Jones' podcast the right time, and he was talking about, and I won't get the exact numbers right, but basically since the rookie wage scale for quarterbacks hit a certain level, since then, nobody has been drafted in the first round and not been a starter by the year. So when you bring in Jordan Love, you're you're putting a clock, you're putting a timer on Aaron Rodgers. And he has said for a while he wants to play into his 40s. He was just the MVP. Um, so worth noting that it's it's not over. And Rob Domovsky, our ESPN NFL Nation Packers reporter, was on with Greeny. And I was shocked to hear his response to whether this might get resolved. What number percent chance would you put the odds that Rodgers is the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers week one? 
Dari Noka asked me that exact question on Saturday morning, and I said 5% chance he's their quarterback, and I, I guess I'm sticking with that. Five. Five percent. And Fitz, I know we talk a lot about when a guy says he wants out, it's going to end poorly. But a lot of times it gets resolved, right? A lot of times we t- we talk about the v- really obvious ones. A lot of people have been bringing up Carson Palmer. But there's, a, there's you know, Kobe Bryant at one point asking out and, you know, he ends up sticking around. I think they made the finals that year. Like there's there's examples. I think we don't know what's happening with Deshaun Watson. I'm, I'm pretty sure I bet my house and my car on him not being with the Texans this year, and now I'm starting to think that that maybe um, I might need to hang on to those pieces of property. Um, but I, I think we hear about maybe the Broncos getting him or other landing spots, but I think it's shocking to imagine that this really can't be remedied. Well, and to that end, you know, I, I talked to as many insiders that I think have some level of information over the last several days that I can, and what's two surprising things. One, I've heard from multiple insiders that, frankly, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, that he won't be missed by the front office or by the people in the locker mm. room. And, and mm-hmm. I think that there's some truth to that. But the other side of it is is I had two different people who I really respect say very different things about Jordan Love and their level of confidence. One says they're all in in the building. And the other says I'm hearing they're not. And so uh, that has to come into this equation. Like if you're the Packers and you're looking around saying, man, the only thing worse than having to let Aaron Rodgers walk away is doing that and knowing that you may not have a quarterback that's ready to step in in Jordan Love. And if you don't believe he's ready, then you have to Hail Mary whatever it takes to keep this relationship. Otherwise, the egg on your face will be massive for letting Jordan Love come in before he's ready and then he struggles early on and it's only magnifying these questions. So the Packers need to know what they've got in the building and feel strong about it, unified in the building if there's change coming. He didn't even dress for half their games last year. Right. He didn't even dress for half their games last year. He was the 26th overall pick. Now, there's Aaron Rodgers was lower than that. Tom Brady, there's plenty of examples of lower picks that have made good. But talk about the worst possible situation to be thrust into action as a starter. You run off your Hall of Famer, and then you get a start, and you're not any good? Gosh, imagine the response from those fans. Unbelievable. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll keep you updated on the Aaron Rodgers situation as we hear about it. Like I said, my excitement over the NFC North being completely flipped by this draft and Aaron Rodgers potentially being gone is huge. But I also think what an incredible talent. And it would be a waste if he didn't end up in a spot that he could uh, succeed before he retires. Coming up, we'll dive into draft surprises, including one GM who did something he doesn't normally do. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Has incredible, incredible meaning to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I can't help it. No, it's true. Like, I never think of this song until I start working with Sarah because she whistles this song a lot during the break. I don't know why. And, like, it'll be the middle of the afternoon, and I'm like, why is this song stuck in my. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I could whistle, I would totally imitate it. I don't know why. I mean, it's not even Sarah Smile, it's not even a song that makes sense. From Holland Oates. Oh, it's a it's this though. and the A Team theme song. I've never seen the A Team. Wow. And between the two, I will literally just, my brain will just revert to some deep corner in the back where Rich Girl by Holland Oates sits. And I'll just win. I don't know why. I love every second of it. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. <laughs> Our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, uh, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together. So you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com 
or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Now, we've been talking a lot about the NFL draft, and it didn't take long, by the way, to start getting some surprises as all eyes were going to be on the 49ers. And I feel like in some ways I was very wrong about the pick, but in some ways I was very right, Sarah, because I will say that one of the things I've been drilling home is that I think Jimmy G is going to be the long-term future, not the long-term, I should say, the short-term future for San Francisco. I think he's still going to start this year uh, as a, no matter who they drafted at three overall. It felt like there's an opportunity for them to bring that person along slowly and to keep a Super Bowl caliber roster in the hunt for the Super Bowl with Jimmy G as their quarterback. By the way, he'll be on KJZ tomorrow morning at 9, 10 a.m. Eastern. So they'll ask him directly about his future. You don't want to miss that. But they really doubled down on that in my mind when they took Trey Lance third overall. Trey out of North Dakota State could turn out to be a great quarterback. I hope he does. I want every kid drafted to be hugely successful. But he definitely goes to a good situation because no matter what, there's going to be a, a learning curve for him. So he goes to one of the best offensive coaches in the league, one of the best quarterback minds in the league in Kyle Shanahan. And I don't think there's any pressure for him to play right away because they'll let Jimmy G do that. If he happens to win the job by some miracle, great. If he doesn't, no worries. They've gone ahead and given themselves a chance to succeed now and then turn the reins over and have a successful quarterback. So maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I love the strategy. If you remember, I said the Niners were lying all along. Mm-hmm. I said there was no reason to give us all that information early on. I said that there couldn't be a reason to give up that much to get Mac Jones, a guy that nobody was clamoring for. I didn't know if it was Trey Lance or Justin Fields or what the plan was, but it didn't make any sense to me that some of Shanahan's closest cohorts, including someone like Chris Sims, would be just announcing to everyone who they were choosing. Now, people say, well, it's because they were at three, so they didn't really have to run the risk of worrying about, you know, we knew who was going one and two. But Bill Barnwell posited, and I think smartly, that maybe they were doing that just in case the former Niners employees under Shanahan, who had gone to the Jets, didn't look over and say, hey, our brain trust is really high on Trey Lance. Let's go grab him instead of of Zach, right? So... The misdirection was a little confusing at the end there where they they muddied the waters. But I think they, they had Lance and Mac early. They moved to Lance at least a month in advance. And they did something that required that kind of movement based on what they valued him at. And I think his upside is sick. I think he's got a massive upside. It's just going to be a matter of time. And I do think it's wise for them to have Jimmy G in place because Trey Lance is a really unproven product. One interception in 138 passes or whatever it is, but only 138 passes. So he needs time. And I think that's a great landing spot for him. And I think he'll thrive, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jimmy G get a couple starts early. To, to your point uh, earlier, it's all about system. And I, I think Jimmy G is going to end up starting the whole first year and Trey Lance will get an opportunity second year. Now you talk about movements. I don't know any of us that were, were not shocked by just the simple fact that the Giants were active on draft day. <laughs> Not moving up. Nope. David Gettleman moving down, Sarah. It was a delight and a shock all at once. We talked about this on our last show before the draft, and we had some fun with, as always, our Dave Gettleman sound and how he talked about how he keeps trying to move down and can't, and no one was buying it, and can you teach an old dog new tricks? And, of course, it ends up being with my Chicago Bears, and I I have a feeling I know how the conversation went. So, okay, so the Bears gave the Giants a call, and they said, Hey, Dave, what up? Yeah, and then they were like, (laughs) you know, we're not sure because this guy's made a name for himself of not trading down, and then Dave was like, I've tried in the past. I, I honest, honest, I've tried. Okay, I mean, I guess we believe you, and I guess you know we figure it's worth a shot. Why should people trust me? Why shouldn't they? 
yeah, yeah, why not? So they said, you know, how about we give you a couple picks, including our one next year? You give us the 11. You know, it, it, it's it all depends upon how quickly the puppies come along. Sure, Dave. Oh, OK. Uh, well, why did you ultimately decide to make the trade with us? We're building. Yeah, I think that's how it went. And I, for one, am here for all the Giants fan in my mentions saying thank you for the picks. Thank you, good sirs and ma'ams. Thank you, because now we have the quarterback I've dreamed of my whole life, and I really think he will be the face of the franchise and the representation of what good quarterbacking is for the entirety of the history of the Bears. And I, I would like to thank Dave Gettleman, an old dog, or an old puppy, I should say, who learned new tricks. Mike Tannenbaum, our NFL GM front office insider, uh, he said on Saturday, you always remember what you gave up for a pick that doesn't work out, and you never care what you gave up for a pick mm-hmm. that does. And I yes. think that's just the context. Here. Like, if, if Justin Fields is great for the Bears, it doesn't matter what they gave up. And, and frankly, I think this is a win-win because the Giants do trade back, get themselves some equity, and they, they turned around and had a really nice draft. I think the, Gi- the Giants made a lot of sense. Which brings me to one of their division rivals, by the way. We always talk every year. Like At some point, we need to learn. And by we, I mean all of us sitting in front of a microphone. Because every year, we buy into this, oh, Jerry Jones is going to go out and do something dumb. He's going to trade up. He's going to blow this whole draft up because you can't stop Jerry Jones. Yet again, the Cowboys just sat where they were. And what do you know? They let the draft come to them. And I think had a pretty nice draft. Like I, the, the Cowboys have been really solid when it comes to drafting offensive linemen or drafting the best defensive player available. Like The Cowboys realized they had defensive needs. They went on and addressed them. And maybe we should stop buying in every year to the concept that Jerry Jones is going to go for a full circus show when, in fact, it seems like they're doing a really nice job in Dallas. 100%. This, this was among the surprises that the Cowboys, instead of doing what we thought, like trade up and go get pits instead of addressing your horrific defense, made the smart move, were solid again. The other, you know, th- th- that kind of feeds into our expectations for Jerry and the Cowboys not being the reality. It feeds into the surprises we got with two of the teams getting A-plus grades were the Jets and the Bears, right? I mean, these teams that get clowned for their decision-making – Get these massively high grades, and of course, the grades on the draft are silly because no one's played a single snap yet, and we very rarely go back years past and actually address whether or not they were correct. But you look at some of the teams that are known for the mistakes that they make, and they were almost all winners, except for, unfortunately, your Raiders, who many people still gave a losing, failing hey, we grade. We got a B-minus on ESPN, <laughs> which is better than usual. And, uh, yeah, and by the way, the Cowboys get Parsons out of Penn State, I think the most dynamic defensive player in this draft. And also, they get a steal later, Jabril Cox, the LSU mm-hmm. linebacker in the fourth yeah. round. Like, you can go up and down the board and say, hey, you know what, they got playmakers on both sides of the ball. Like, kudos to the Cowboys. Like, I really feel like, for once, a lot of franchises, a lot of fans could look at their favorite franchise and say, you know what, I understand and our draft strategy and what we're trying to do. I don't know that we can always say that. So this was a really good draft for a lot of teams, and that has me feeling hopeful. Now, obviously that's our thoughts on it, but one of the uh, one of the toughest judges out there on all things NFL is Bill Barnwell. We'll talk to him next to see what he thinks of the NFL draft. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Get all sorts of fun stuff out there, some exclusive stuff out there. You don't want to miss it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Speaking of podcasts, let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we are joined by the host of one of our favorite podcasts, ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell joins us. You can check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. Bill, as always, happy post-draft. We appreciate your time. I'll let Sarah get into one side of this we're probably going to talk about. But let's start <laughs> with the first sort of eyebrow-raising move by some, uh, in, in some minds, with the draft. And that would be Trey Lance going number three overall to the 49ers. To me, it cements Jimmy G as the starter for this year. But long-term, Trey Lance in that offense, Kyle Shanahan, what do you think? I, I think the upside here is Patrick Mahomes. You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily the guarantee, but certainly you see what Kyle Shanahan's thinking is, hey, we've had an offense that has worked. We have a solid offense. I'm pretty smart, just like the Chiefs had with Alex Smith. Chiefs had to get to that next level. They had to take a shot on that quarterback with significant upside. The guy who can do anything as long as he's sort of put in the right system and given the time to grow. I think that's what Trey Lance is for the San Francisco 49ers, and I think it's going to take a while. Might be the full year, might be six months, might be half the season, who knows. But we know Trey Lance is going to be the guy eventually. And I think Kyle Shanahan saying, okay, you know, we can win two or three Super Bowls if Trey Lance turns out to be the guy I'm expecting here with the third overall pick. Trey Lance and Justin Field were my favorites after Trevor Lawrence. I think both of them have huge upside. And I wasn't really mm-hmm. letting myself believe there was a chance the Bears would go big, even though I thought there was a pretty good <laughs> shot of Nagy and Pace trying to save their jobs with a big swing. They certainly weren't going to mm-hmm. save their jobs with Andy Dalton and the team that went 8-8 eight and eight last year. So, Bill, you're not going to break my heart and find something to complain about here, right? I should be as Mr. Kool-Aid man jumping through a wall excited as I am, right? I could, but I don't <sighs> want to do that. You're my friend. I want, I want to be, don't. you know, positive and complimentary here. Here's what I'm going to say. Like, let's say this doesn't work out. Let's say this failed. But why? At least it was fun to try. You know, like, like you could have gone forward with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles and not taken that swing and maybe had a little more depth on both sides of the football. But you know what? That's not a fun experience. No one wants to go through that. No one wants to be that 8-18, eight and 18, maybe hoping to get into the postseason and then getting blown out in the postseason and having your quarterback win the Nickelodeon MVP award. You want to win games. You want to have at least some hope for the possibility of having a top-10 quarterback. And I think for the Bears, given the price they paid, pretty reasonable, just really that one extra first-round pick to move up. I think it's a fair deal, and I think that, you know, whether Justin Fields transferred the guy or not, I think this is a very defensible move given where they had to go. But also, let's look at the flip side. I mean, shock and awe for the Giants to actually move down in a draft? Oh, my God. Guys, you know, it, it, it was like, you know, like, like seeing a toddler walk for the first time, except the toddler <laughs> was 70 years old. Um, He's with building. Dave and then he did it twice. He was so excited that he did it again. Uh, the next round, it was. I was so proud that Dave Gettleman actually traded down twice, and you know he got good value both times. Like like the deal that that, that first round pick trade, good for both sides. For the Bears, yeah. you get Justin Fields, you get a shot at improving. For the Giants, hey, if Justin Fields doesn't work out, if the Bears have a bad year, suddenly that's a top ten pick. Maybe you use that pick to get the quarterback to replace Daniel Jones next year if Daniel Jones doesn't take a step forward in his third season. So I think a win win there for both teams. We're building. We're building. I'm not even going to ask Bill uh, the ways that he could ruin my mood because I don't want to hear it. And I'm not into that right now. ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell with this of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. Also, of course, great appearance as always on ESPN Daily on Friday with Pablo Torre breaking down the first night of the draft. We've been talking a lot about the first night and a couple second round picks. But get us into more of the second and third round and, and, and picks maybe aren't being talked about as much that you think teams really want on. Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I... 
I really like what the Chargers did in this draft. And I think it goes back to the first round. They were able to stay put. They got Rashawn Slater, plug and play left tackle, exactly what uh, they needed for Justin Herbert. In the second round, you figure, okay, the Chargers just cut Casey Hayward. They need a corner. Asante Samuel Jr. Now, granted, Asante Samuel Jr. makes me as a 36-year-old feel extremely old. Uh, I know about you guys. I'm not ready for Asante Samuel's children (laughs) to be in the NFL. But on the field, great fit. Exactly what the Chargers needed. I just think they really nailed this draft in terms of not getting what they needed, but not having to go over the top. They waited, they stayed put, and they got guys who filled exactly the problems that they had on their roster. So I know every year we all get fooled, we all buy in, something horrible happens in August, but Chargers looking pretty exciting for the 2021 season. I've never heard of the Chargers. I don't know anything about them. All right, Bill Barnwell (laughs) joining us. Uh, Bill, you mentioned staying paid. Uh, Look, guys, i got to find a reason not to drink. It already looks bleak. Uh, You guys, uh, you mentioned staying put and being patient. That's what the Patriots did, and Mac Jones fell to them. The question becomes, now they've got two very different quarterbacks on their roster in Cam Newton and Mac Jones. How do they sort of integrate an offense that allows one to develop uh, and still gives Cam the opportunity to turn around and, and win the job and be the best he can be for them? Yeah, I mean, I think you're still really putting in a lot of the same passing concepts. You know, it's not as if the passing offense is going to change all that much. Just with Cam, I think you have that other added element of the running game. When you have Mac Jones on the lineup, if you're assuming Mac Jones does start to start the year, you'll see a more traditional running game from the Patriots, more of the stuff they've done in years past. You'll see outside zone, you'll see power, you'll see duo. With Cam in the game, that changes things. Now suddenly Cam is a viable threat as a runner, so you'll see more read option. You'll see more uh, zone read stuff. You'll see more RPOs, maybe. Um, You'll see more stuff with Cam as the focal point of the running game, which you won't see with Mac Jones. But to me, I think the offense itself is not dramatically different in terms of the passing concepts. There are going to be a lot of 12 personnel. They sign those two big tight ends. Are they bringing Nelson Aguilar or bringing Kendrick Bourne? I I don't think their passing game is going to change all that much, regardless of which quarterback is in there. But I think in the long run, you got to figure by the end of the year, Mac Jones is going to be the guy at some point in New England. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Bill Barnwell. I know Fitz doesn't want to hear the tough stuff about his Raiders. In fact, he's already mm. spinning a positive. Oh, well, good we draft. got the guy in the, in the first round that I thought maybe would be in the second, but then we got a guy in the second that I thought would be a first roll, evens out. Meanwhile, <laughs> everyone else is giving the Raiders a D. So, Bill, I don't mind if you ruin Fitz's day as long as you don't ruin mine. So tell us about the Raiders. Okay, here's the thing. We don't know anything <laughs> about the draft. The, the, the stuff we do know is significantly outbalanced by the stuff that we do not know. It's really tough to draft well at the NFL level. And we all have this idea of where teams are feeling based on mock drafts, based on the rumors, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, stuff happens. We're surprised by stuff. Like Mac Jones was third overall pick until Mac Jones wasn't the third overall pick for the Niners. Now, with the Raiders, year after year, they do stuff that is off the board. They draft Clellan Farrell with the fourth overall pick. They take Josh Jacobs in the first round. They sign Kenyon Drake to an $11 million contract to back up Josh Jacobs for uh, reasons. We don't entirely know why the Raiders do all the things <laughs> they do. But here's the problem. It's okay to go off the board, but you have to hit. Like, if you don't hit and you're going off the board, something is wrong with your process. And for the Raiders, clearly, when you're drafting an like Alex Leatherwood, who everyone said is a second-round pick, in the middle of the first round, it tells you that you don't trust your ability to read what the rest of the league is doing. You don't trust your ability to get those guys. If you want to draft Alex Leatherwood, fine. Go nuts. No problem with that at all. Drafting a tackle, fine. But 
you have to trust that you're going to be able to get that guy later in the first round, or maybe even in the second round, and get those extra picks that are going to help out your roster. I mean, no reason to think Mike Mayock is not a good evaluator of talent. He was for years. We saw it publicly. But, you know, what the, what the Raiders are doing is just they're betting that their board, they're betting that their, their opinions are so much better than everyone else's, and the evidence just says that's not the case. Let me just counter one thing quickly, Bill. Colton Miller yep. was supposed to be a reach at 12, right? And he That's just true. got a big deal because he's played well. Do they get any benefit of the doubt for they got that one right, it looks like. Now the same same crew doing this offensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There's also like that <laughs> one day a week where I, I go to the gym and I eat healthy and I feel great. And then the other few days of the week, when I don't do it, I don't really get the credit for that one day. You know, you got to do it every single time, or at least most of the time. They feel good about things. So I, you know, I'm willing to at least hold out hope here. But again, even if you want to draft the guy, take him at the end of the first round, trade down, get that extra pick, try and add that guy to your roster. And we know, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of guys come to the Raiders looking promising and they get worse once they get there. You have to hope that doesn't happen here in the short term with Alex Leatherwood. Uh, that is a fair point. That's why I love and hate you all at once right now, Bill Barmo. As always, <laughs> we appreciate you hanging out with us. Be sure to check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell. Thanks for the time, my friend. We always appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Bill Barnwell on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. There was one thing that happened in the NFL draft that not only has implications to the players that were selected, but also long-term implications for the league. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a fantastic Monday. Fitz cannot be pushed off the spot that his Raiders were successful in the draft. I know that my Bears were. The future of the franchise is here, and Justin Fields is going to win us the Super Bowl, and no one's going to make fun of us anymore, and it's going to be amazing. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Get some digital-only content, including today my interview with Michelle Wee West. The full interview is on the podcast. Really great talking to her. I highly recommend you checking that out. And sometimes we do some uh, some pre- and after-show stuff, which we haven't done in a while because Fitz was knee-deep in draft prep. But we're going to get back into it. Uh, we got a lot to get to in the coming weeks, Fitz. I mean, Major League Baseball bachelor needs to get really into high gear. WNBA season starts in 11 days, and the head coach of the Dream just got hired by Baylor to replace uh, Kim Mulkey. So, that's, uh, I mean, and that, that's, that's incredible. something we're going to get into. I mean, that's incredible <laughs> to me right before the season to be like, yep, uh, and, and str- not strange, but just chaotic to think that you'd be going from the WNBA to mm-hmm. Baylor. Like, so much of the, the mindset is that it goes the opposite way. The so. opposite. Not when you don't have to pay players in college. That frees up a lot more money for salaries for coaches. That is a fair point. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it just shows one of the unique challenges, though, that still 100%. faces the WNBA. Absolutely. Uh, owner Renee Montgomery on it right now, trying to figure out what to do 11 days away from the start of the season. We'll get into that. Brianna Stewart got engaged, so another ring, which I think you should have a limit at some point on how many you get within a year, and I think that's like three for her. Uh, So she's incredible. We have lots to get to in the coming weeks, but a couple things we need to to clean up from the show today. And one of those is Fitz talked about how for the months leading up to the draft, he decided to go clean. He was eating only healthy, no drinking, no coffee, no anything fun. And after finishing his incredibly uh, invested draft coverage on the digital side and the radio side, he went to Steakhouse Flemings and he got a steak, a filet with crab meat on top and three full desserts that he ate all of carrot cake, creme brulee, key lime pie, which had us asking you guys the weirdest combination of food you've ever ordered. 
we didn't get as many answers as I expected because I've definitely had some weird cravings all at the same time. But this was a good one. At Steve Berkowitz, uh, bizarre combo occasionally of chicken noodle soup with chips and queso. That is Not just weird, the once, yeah. too, but like apparently every once in a while he has a craving for all of those things. Uh, Javier Ricardo, 85, uh, he, his dad, and his kid eat red beans and rice with bananas instead of cornbread. And they started doing that because they were too broke for cornbread, but they still do it and pass it on. Uh, Dana Holtzbert does bacon double cheeseburger with chili meat on top and sliced fried egg on the bottom. That sounds like something you would eat, Fitz. That's a, that doesn't sound... I mean, I'd try it once, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Anna J served up a photo that you'd have to go into my menchies to find, and I warn you not to. It was a peanut butter... I'm sorry. It was a hot dog topped with peanut butter and a Kraft single. Oh, that sounds weird. Like, why, why? the peanut butter? Like, I love peanut butter, but why? The peanut butter doesn't make any sense in there. And of all the cheeses... After the age of eight, you should not be allowed to eat Kraft Singles. And I'm so sorry. I hope they're not a sponsor. Like, But Velveeta and or a Kraft Single, just get some real cheese. I mean, uh, I, well, I'm, I'm all in on like every once in a while the fake cheese on top of a hot dog. Like, I'll, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. No, you know, that's like that. when people say they don't like nachos that much. And then I realize they're just thinking about the ballpark circle chips with the cheese whiz. I, you need real deal cheese for nachos. Otherwise, it's not worth I mean, yeah. it's still worth it. It's still better than some other options, but it's not. For nachos, 100%. But, like, when I go to my hot dogs, like, I have no no problem putting, like, a fat-free all-chemical cheese slice right on top of that, like, <laughs> God knows what's in it hot dog that then goes in the microwave and then you throw it in a bun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 75% eat, like- of your body is just chemicals masquerading as food. Uh, you're not wrong. In fact, I, I'm, I'm proud that I've got it down to 75%. I feel really good about that. Been also, I, water. I just looked up that thing you described, which was a bowl made of pizza crust filled with penne pasta. Yes, yes. That is the most American. It's not the most American thing I've seen, but it's up there. The most like, American we, we don't thing. don't need all of that. Like, uh, okay, the most American thing to me is that we took like a really healthy food in sushi, which is just raw fish and rice. And then we're like, yo, what if we put mayonnaise on it and deep and fry fried it? it. Like, yeah. like that, that's- which, by the way, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. Well, what if we call it a Philly roll and put some cheesesteak on it? Oh, my God. That's... Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. Hey, you know what else I wanted to ask you about? Because I know you were really knee-deep in, in the draft stuff. And one of the things that we hadn't considered that was finally paying off this year is that new initiative to validate teams whose minority coaches got hired away from them and promoted with compensatory draft picks. And you saw that in action. Yeah, I think it's one of the most interesting and under-talked about stories of the draft is that look at the 49ers. They were given two additional compensatory draft picks at the end of the third round. One uh, for Robert Salah being uh, their former... Uh, Robert uh, Salah. Salah, sorry. You being... always say that really fast because you're so insecure about it. Salah, I, I just always say it wrong. <laughs> uh, but uh, for Coach Salah, who was their assistant coach and is now the head coach, obviously, of the Jets, but also Martin Mayhew, their former executive that was hired as the GM of the Washington football team. Because of those two minority hires going to other teams, they were given two additional draft picks at the end of the third round, which is exactly the process we've talked about where it comes to incentivizing teams to, hey, not only make sure that the rest of the league knows about viable candidates, but also that they're getting candidates the experience they need. When there's a direct uh, correlation between helping people get new opportunities and then immediate draft opportunity from that, especially in a draft that was 
so deep. I mean, you see the impact right away when you start talking about additional picks at the end of the third round. Like that's that's a high value when you start thinking about what it means for their team. And some feel that part of the reason that they were more confident in drafting was because they knew had they had additional draft equity because of those special compensatory picks. So I mean, uh, to me, that's in action right there, saying, "Hey, this is the reason to start." One of the reasons that any team can start trying to incentivize finding ways to get great candidates in front of other teams because it helps everybody when that happens. Yeah, and and I think we'll have to see take the the temperature on 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 folks in the league um after it's now been put into place because I know there was a lot of pushback on that. It felt like, you know, you're not really changing the landscape if you're giving things to people for hiring minority coaches, right? Like if you can't hire people of color because they're the best for the job and you've vetted them and you've gone out and found the best talent, if you need to be promised something, um, that it doesn't mean that you've actually changed the mindset. And the real root issue is much bigger and, and, and more nuanced than that. Um, but if it does result in, in more diversity hiring, that's the goal. And, right, this is the conversation we have every year when it comes to the Rooney rule. Like, you shouldn't need to have it. But you don't get rid of it because it's flawed because then you have nothing. Well, and realistically, when you start thinking about what it means for candidates that that are trying to get that shine and get that opportunity, uh, we can talk all day long about whether or not it's a positive or a negative in some of those senses. But realistically, also, the more I've talked to like Lewis Riddick and guys that really have their head around all of this, the more they'll tell you, hey, it's just about getting an interview. It's about getting a shot, about yep. getting a look, no matter no matter how you get it. And I think the no matter how is an important part of what they've got to figure out moving forward. And this is the first time that I've really seen something that I think, oh, now that you've given everybody a reason, now you've given everybody a push it only helps in that far more to me than the Rooney rule, which just helps get an interview. This actually says, Hey, get out there and make sure your guys are getting everything they need to be viable candidates. Like I think there's power in that. Yeah. It's interesting. My, uh, my friend Dylan McCullough, who I wrote a story about a couple of years ago and we have a, a, you know, a friendship sent, he left the chiefs as their running backs coach to go back to Indiana where he'd been a coach before he's the running backs coach and assistant head coach. Because he basically said, I want to be a head coach. It's not going to happen in the NBA. And you can't ignore the fact that he's been working alongside the enemy, watching him not, you know, get the opportunities, watching his name get floated every year and him never being the guy. And I I do think that you have to consider that in the NFL if you're losing talent to the college ranks because – Minority coaches are just like, listen, this isn't the path. It's very clear to me looking at how few people of color are in the head coaching positions. Well, and and I don't know a great way to fix that. What I do know is that what we've been trying so far isn't working, right? So yeah. if this suddenly becomes a spark plug for people, I, I think the third round value didn't really hit me until this weekend when you start seeing names come off the board and you realize how many starters are still available that can impact your team, especially offensive line, defensive line. Like You start thinking about improving your team from the inside out and you have the opportunity to do that because you helped a candidate get a great opportunity. Like That's a win-win. Yeah. It's a long play, though. I don't know if it's something that's intentional so much as just the result that you're happy for after the fact. Yeah. Right? So... Awesome stuff today, Fitz. Should we just have every show be mostly about Justin Fields and how excited I am? Uh, or the Raiders and how good I am. Okay, Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up. They're going to talk to <laughs> Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.